Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 578. My name is Eric Nilsson. With me today, I have Cora Romero, my co-host. Today is Wednesday, October 27th, 2021. Corey, how's it going? Going well. Things are well. We had, uh, again, a huge snowstorm come in into Utah. And, uh, you know, buried the front yard, backyard. But uh, it's exciting. Best part of it is uh, I got to teach my 16-year-old son at 7 a.m. on how to drive in the snow down our mountain. So, uh, yeah, Very fun. Things, are, things are great. Very fun. Well, that's great. That's great. And we did have a big storm here in California as well. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, let's talk about what we got on the show today. Today we are going to be talking about Project Antria. Uh, Antria is a enablement networking uh, and network policy component that uh, guys have written. I think it's an open source project. It connects Kubernetes clusters together. And so we have with us uh, Antonin Boss and Madhu. Uh, we'll get to them in a second, uh, talking all about uh, the open source project that's out there to build you a Kubernetes, Kubernetes network fabric. And that project is Antria. So we're going to talk about that. That should be fun. But before we do that, talk a little bit about the news. Uh, so yes, the weather in California, there's an interesting piece. We had a storm came through. One of the biggest storms we've had in multiple years, right? More rain. It dumped a foot of rain, 12 inches of rain up north of San Francisco, up into the Marin County area. So can you imagine 12 inches of rain in 24 hours? It's like, uh, yeah, it's some flooding. Interesting thing is up in the Sierras, we've been in a drought for a year and Lake Tahoe has, you know, they've, everybody's been complaining that Lake Tahoe is losing water. The pristine lake is going to be bad. It's the doom and gloom of the drought, right? The lake is overflowing now. So one rainstorm drops a foot of rain and uh, the lake is now overflowing. So that's good news for us. Um, it is, uh, it's great to get that water and it has been stormy and now it's sunny again. So, but we're supposed to get some more rain in a couple of days. So California is uh, happily wet. It, I think we didn't have rain for one entire year. So good to have the rain back uh, and good that you guys got some snow. Uh, any kind of news that we want to talk about here for going into Q4? I think that uh, one thing I'll do a shout out is if you happen to be in uh, APJ, Japan or China, there is VMworld that's going to happen. There's a VMworld for Japan that's going to be happening, which is kind of like the V forms of last few years. Um, we're going to now have a VMworld Japan, which is fairly much like a V form 
rebranded, but that should be fun for them. So if you're in the APJ region, go look out for that. Uh, you know, I think they're going to do a hybrid approach where it's going to be online again uh, in different locales. Um, so look forward to that. And in China, there's going to be another VMworld China. So if you're in China, you're probably not listening to this podcast, but you might be. And if you are, uh, go register for VMworld China. And so the momentum season continues on. Uh, so that's that's good to know. Corey, is there any other things that uh, the experts should know about uh, in the next month you know, or so? We do have a couple um, a couple webinars coming up. They're not confirmed yet, but uh, watch your email. Um, I'll be sending out an email um, either late this week or early next um, for those webinars. Um, also want to do a shout out to um, uh, Pamela, who runs the uh, VExpert Avi program. They had a uh, Avi and Kubernetes um, webinar this morning. So uh, great work. Very good. Very good. Shout out to them. Good job on, on, on that. Uh, and so with that, we'll get to our guests. And as always, we'll do a little bit of an introduction and uh, then we'll hear from them about how they got where they are. Then we'll get into Project Antria. So first, we'll start with an Antonin. Am I saying that right? Um, welcome, yep, yep. To, welcome to the show. Tell me a little bit about your career arc. How did you know you work at VMware now? Your title is staff engineer in the uh, I think in the you know network business and R and D. Um, tell me how you got here and what do you do at VMware? Uh, yeah, so my career is not that long. <laughs> I don't think I've hit the uh, 10, 10 year mark yet. But uh, uh, basically, I've been in in networking pretty much the whole time. Uh, when I was at uh, uh, Stanford doing my masters, I, I studied like uh, networking and security and systems. And then right after um, Stanford, I joined a startup company in Palo Alto called uh, Barefoot Networks, uh, which was uh, making um, uh, network ASICs uh, for data center switches, so processing packets at high speeds in, in uh, data centers, whether it's enterprise or uh, cloud data centers. And uh, I was there for five years, pretty much from the beginning until the acquisition by Intel. And uh, after that, I wanted to do something new, something more software related, because Barefoot Networks was... Um, hardware company at the core, even though I was doing software uh, uh, there. And I wanted to do a little bit of uh, Kubernetes, but still remain you know, under that networking slash systems umbrella. And so I think um, um, I got the opportunity, opportunity to join VMware uh, to work specifically on an open source project, which was also something I was doing at Barefoot, a lot of open source work. And so that was very interested to me. Uh, very interesting to me. And so I joined and I've been working on project entry for the last two years. Yeah, nice. That's a, that's super cool. I'm I'm jealous for having gotten to exposure in the hardware space, right? Because it's fun to build ASICs. Um, I assume you guys designed ASICs and then use fabs over, you know, in, uh, in Taiwan to to actually have the ASICs made. It Exactly. So I think it was an interesting experience. Uh, it's very hard uh, to be a startup company in that space and to compete with people like uh, Broadcom, right? I mean, just uh, getting getting the fabs to uh, to get, getting that those uh, window of times or they're going to yeah. produce your chips, and then any issue, any hardware issue, uh, can be like a catastrophe because the cycles are so long, right? And so yeah. and so expensive to do a respin. And so I think it was a very interesting experience. It's a hard space to be in when you're a, a startup. You, you need like a lot of funding. Yeah. The market is growing, but it's not that huge, right? It's not something right. that's unlimited, sure. and, and Broadcom captures a big part of it. So, but but yeah. I'm I'm glad I'm more 
uh, in the software, software now, but yeah. it was definitely a good. Experience. Yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. I know I've I've talked to several people, even people that know Pat over Intel now, and uh, in the chip space, you, to get a your own chip made, even if you just get a slice of a of a wafer, right? Like it's like eighteen million dollars just to get a slice of a wafer to build a, a custom chip set. So, and that's yeah. just for you know to to do the die, and and that's sharing that cost with like three other vendors who will get that wafer. So it's, it is a super expensive place, uh, space to be in. So that's, but it's still pretty cool. So yeah, that's a fun experience. All right, with that, we'll we'll move to Madhu. Uh, Madhu, welcome to the show. Madhu is senior technical product manager for NSBU. So Madhu, welcome to the show. What do you do, and how's your career got you here? Thank you. Uh, so hey, uh, hello everyone. And Madhu, or I'll just Madhu say Krishna Rao. What is your last name? Say it again, because I couldn't pronounce it. It's Krishna Rao. Krishna Rao. All right, great. Thanks. Yes. Yep. Okay. So it's Madhukar Krishna Rao, or just call me Madhu. I guess that's more easier. Uh, so, well, where do I start? Uh, I, my life in VMware actually started around uh, 2007, way back in 2007. I used to work as a device driver developer for ESXi uh, 3.0, 3.5 timeframe. That's where it started. So, and Throughout my career in, in VMware, my, my kind of interest and focus has been on networking. So uh, worked on device drivers a little bit, then a little bit on the TCP/IP stack, distributed switches, and then when uh, the networking and business unit, uh, security business unit, got formed, I got an opportunity to kind of formalize, formally get into the networking uh, space. Uh, in between uh, around 2015, I think, uh, I moved out. I wanted to try my hands on being a solution architect. Uh, so I went out mm -hmm. of the company. That was uh, pretty good too. It was in a company called New Arch Networks. Uh, and then I got an opportunity to come back and, and work as a technical product manager uh, with VMware within the business unit. So here I am. Nice. Uh, it's It's been a fun journey because uh, one, when you're a developer, you look at things in a certain way, you're focused on, on, on certain aspects of things. But then when you're a solution architect or when you're talking to customers, it's a different way of, it's a different perspective that you're looking at, uh, especially about problems or how you solve something. And now with, with all of these, I think uh, if I have a chance to get back as an engineer and definitely be a much better engineer than I was before, uh, obviously, right. experience uh, and, 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 and uh, the opportunities uh, that has come along the way. Yeah, before that, I used to work in a small startup uh, uh, in, in San Jose, uh, then IBM, Verizon Business, and yeah. It's, it's are, are, are both of you, uh, Antonio is obviously for in California because he mentioned a California startup. Are you also in the Bay Area? Yes, I'm also in the Bay Area. All yes, right. and I did enjoy both the rain and the sun, sunshine that's there right now. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I didn't enjoy the rain too much. Uh, I think I felt that uh, those five inches of rain in my backyard. Uh, fortunately, the, the ground can absorb it pretty fast here with the Bay Area sandy soil, but it was still there was still a bit of a flood uh, going on when when it was raining. Yeah. I, I went out and drove around and walked around and just enjoyed the different perspective of seeing everything storming and wet. It was a lot of fun. And uh, Madhu, I got to just say, you know, if you did drivers, like hex is your friend, right? You know, like yep. every, everything is sending hex lines, hex numbers down the lines, right? You know, like, it is I completely agree. Absolutely, it's your been friend. Quite some time though. 
Yeah. Um, I, I did some drivers for small Raspberry Pi stuff where you know, I got mm. hardware and then just was pulling data from sensors doing it in uh, C. And it's just, just a lot of hex work, right? It's a lot of fun. All right. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. Good to meet both of you. Thank you for giving us a little bit of perspective. And uh, uh, Antonia, why don't you tell us a little bit about the problem space that you've been working on with... Um, with Antria and or Antria, and we'll uh, you know go from there. So tell us a little bit about the problem space and your approach to it. It's obviously open source. Just give us some history of uh, what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, when I when I joined VMware, right, um, uh, VMware did have uh, NSBU did have like a networking solution for container and still has it. And it's called NCP Network Container Plugin, and it's basically a part of NSX, right? It, uh, sure. It connects uh, uh, containers to uh, NSX logical switches, just like you would connect VMs to logical switches. Um, and it wasn't very like Kubernetes native in in that uh, in that sense, right? And and you and you did need uh, to have NSX running to be able to uh, have that networking solution for your uh, Kubernetes containers. And so at that time, people uh, in, in the BU thought it would be a good idea to. Uh, start a project that would be more Kubernetes native and would be independent uh, uh, of NSXT while still being able to integrate with NSXT to unlock additional capabilities, for example. Uh, and um, we, uh, I think uh, at the time, um, people looked at what was available in terms of open source solution. And uh, we felt like if we wanted to check those uh, those uh, two checkboxes, uh, achieve those two goals, right? We 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 kind of like needed to start our own solution, and we saw a few gaps in the available open source solutions as well, right? In terms of uh, network policy model for the enterprise, in terms of like Windows support, which was kind of like very new at the time uh, in Kubernetes, and so we thought it would be a good idea to to start. Uh, an open source project um, take like a different, uh, a, a bit of a different approach uh, to Kubernetes networking with a, a different data pass uh, technology, and at the same time make sure that as a project we created would be something that could be easily integrated in other um, virtual networking solutions such as NSXT. Yeah, it is interesting uh, because I did uh, two years ago uh, Kubernetes on Raspberry Pi for VMworld. I just did tech sessions where showed how to install Kubernetes, get it up, get a get a bunch of Raspberry Pi trees running, and then a Raspberry Pi for the master node. But then you need the network connectivity and the network layer, right? And so then we have to go to open source to get those. And it's kind of hit or miss what you get. There's like three or four different so network solution module, you know, I don't know what I'd call them, but fabrics, right? That from from vendors, and I forget the names of them, and we chose one. But it is kind of this uh, using open source. You know, depends on who the contributors are, depends on who spun up the project. You know, how reliable this is going to be, and you know, it's fun for for Kubernetes, right? You don't really care that much as long as you get it up and running and working. It was fun, right? But when you start talking about you know production level workloads, if you want to have a fabric that's not super heavyweight that you want to use just for some entry-level stuff, uh, you do have to choose somebody, a, gr a group. And then if you want a path to get to production-level, you know, real Kubernetes running in, in, in the enterprise where you have scale, then, you know, what you've chosen, right, does it give you a path to get where you need to go? So I could see the need for that. At least I kind of understand why why we would kind of do that, build our own open-source project that, that offers this, bring some enterprise-level kind of, 
thought processes around building that layer and then and then you know hiring a guy like you to go go do it that makes sense um so how long have you been at it uh for two years um i've been there for the whole uh lifespan of the project so far and uh yeah you're right when it comes to networking kubernetes doesn't help you much especially for bare metal deployments right so you were mentioning like kind of like a, a raspberry pi based clusters there so kubernetes doesn't help you much uh and you basically have to go out and get one of those uh, open source solutions and behind each one of those open source solutions there is actually a different company right and so you choose an open source solution you basically uh, choose one of those companies uh, in the end. And um, and uh, yeah, if you want to get support for your uh, production workloads and you end up buying support from that company. And in a way, we have the same model with Entria, even though we try to put all the features we have uh, out there in the open source project for people to be able to use uh, whether they are a customer of VMware or not. And uh, we also donated Entria to the CNCF, which is the foundation behind uh, Kubernetes. So we really try to have that uh, transparent uh, open source governance. Right, right, right. Um, so do you guys, how do you track like usage? How do you track whether people are discovering this? Uh, I know you've done a code session that showed how to, how you guys set it up uh, with an open framework. And so that was kind of neat, but like, do you guys look at like downloads, project contributions? I know you can contribute right to the, to the project. Why don't you, why don't we talk a little bit about like, how do people get this and are, is anybody, is anybody using it? Yeah, it's uh, we we do track what you mentioned, right? You can look at uh, uh, Docker image downloads um, and and things like this. Uh, stars on GitHub's contributors. We have actually a pretty large number of contributors. I think we're at about ninety right now. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah we, you don't get those exact usage numbers because telemetry in open source projects is usually frowned upon, right? I mean, right. even for uh, projects you sell to enterprises now you need all those disclaimers and the ability to opt out easily and things like this. Well, in open source projects, telemetry is kind of like frowned upon, especially when you're part of the CNCF. So we're never going to get that kind of like uh, perfect usage data. And yeah, so, I guess I guess if you download it, and you have the zip, you have the bits, you compile them, or you've already bought, you download the pre-compiled. I can share it around to you know any number of people in my in my enterprise, and you'd be using it, and you don't really get any metrics on any of that. Yeah, and it's mis it's really misleading if you look at container downloads. The number of times an image is pulled from the registry, right? This depending on the setup, I can have like a cluster with a thousand nodes, and each one of those nodes will pull the image once, and that's going to count as one download. But maybe you're using like a local uh, registry, right, where you just cache the image, and then all your nodes are going to pull from that, and so you only see one download, and and then we have like test team systems that run all the time that actually accounts for a, a good number of downloads. And so it, it's, those numbers are really, uh, really misleading. But Entria is used in the VMware um, Kubernetes distribution, right, in all the Tenzu editions. And so I think we do get some usage data from, from some of those. And I think we, we have a, a pretty significant number of uh, clusters out there running Entria, which is... Uh, which is uh, comforting and a good thing right. to know and kind of like a, a testament to how Entria can be used in production. 
right. So, so Madhu, we were talking before we did the podcast, like of, you know, uh, Tanzu in general, right? Like how does this fit into the Tanzu go to market kind of strategy? And, you know, from a general networking perspective, I mean, Antonium thinks it's, you know, entry level, like what, from a product perspective, where, where do you see this fitting? So when you're talking about a, uh, like a platform like Tanzu, right? It obviously needs to solve a couple of things for a customer. Uh, one is provide networking. The second one is uh, uh, security. And the third one that kind of you kind of overlook when you suddenly, when you're looking at products is ease of use, uh, what kind of uh, resources are available within the customer company that, that can take on a new CNI, that can take on a new product and then start using it. It, it's it's one thing to have a product available, but it's also the level of uh, uh, technical requirements from a usage perspective that also matters. So what we do with, especially with Tanzu and, and where Antria fits really well is one, it solves a lot of these problems. Uh, if you look at the recent uh, CNCF survey, right, the number one thing that uh, customers typically complained about was, hey, when you talk about Kubernetes, things seem a, a very complex to me. Can you simplify that? And the number two thing was uh, about visibility and, and security. That like 40, 50% of the people who, who took that survey just consistently gave us uh, this feedback. So what Tanzu does is kind of abstracts uh, these things out for you. So with Antria, it uses Antria as the default CNI throughout. So you, you get uh, enterprise class uh, networking, security, but from a usage and from a user consumption perspective, it's pretty seamless. Uh, Clusters come up, the parts are there, the, the, the parts can talk to each other, the nodes are all connected. You can choose to have NAT, you can uh, choose to have direct routed parts, depending upon what kind of topology you want to do. Everything just works seamlessly. And that's, I think, is also one of the kind of contributors for uh, uh, Andrea actually getting a lot of traction. You know, I mean, we were just talking about how do we track, right? One of the best feedbacks that I've actually got about uh, people, like customers and, and people using Antria is when somebody uh, who represents a customer walks up to us in, in, let's say, like a conference like VMworld, right? And then they say, hey, I've, I was using this. I, it's, it's really great. I tried the upgrade. Upgrade totally works. And that's when we get to kind of, that's that's real feedback for us because you know that people are using it. You know they've actually gone through an upgrade cycle, which typically when you talk about a software can get painful. So it, it's, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's pretty interesting uh, to see how this is being uh, utilized. All right, so you brought something to light that I just got to ask because I'm not sure. I want to make sure I understand this. So if you just go pick up uh, Tanzu today, and uh, do I use Antria as a as a, as the default network fabric? If I don't go through the trouble of trying to select a different network fabric like NSXT or whatever, mm -hmm. like so that's so it's embedded in Tanzu today, mm -hmm. right? And it's just yes. the default network environment. And so even though it's open source, we're delivering that as part of our product environment. That's right. So ah, you can still right. use Antria as a CNI, let's say, in a, a, a standalone Kubernetes uh, cluster, right? You have your Ubuntu VMs or, or CentOS VMs, whatever it is. You form a cluster. You still need some sort of a CNI there. You can use Antria if you have, let's say, OpenShift. Or if you also talk about public clouds, uh, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, any of these platforms. When you're talking about a Kubernetes cluster, you can always pick Antria as the CNI uh, even there. 
Yeah. All right. So I, I am humbled. That is that is awesome. I didn't realize that. I just thought this was an open source project that you could choose to use, like I chose one or two or three of the other open source projects when I was setting up my Kubernetes on Raspberry Pis. But this is actually embedded in Tanzu as a kind of a default, easy networking capability. Uh, Antonian, when you uh, when you look at features, right, and keeping up with features, like um, how big is your how big how many engineers? Uh, you said ninety contributors. I guess that's that's a, a key component of keeping up with networking technology is just like how big a team do you have how how fast do you have to go and then is there like this layer of features that you're covering that then um, then if you want a bigger enterprise you might go to NSXT to to do this like where do you find that sweet spot and how do you keep up with the the feature set that's obviously probably moving pretty fast. So there is a pretty large team. So I mentioned 90 contributors to the open source project. Uh, obviously, a lot of those frequent contributors uh, come from VMware, and you have like a, a decent amount of contributors in that number of 90, right? Or just like one-time contributors or a contributor, just a couple of, uh, of small things. Uh, we also have some contributions from other companies, uh, for example, Intel. And uh, there is a couple of users of Entria that contributed some features too, uh, which which has been nice. Um, so at VMware, there is kind of like I would say you don't really have people dedicated to um, uh, just open source Entria, uh, but we have a, a pretty large team of people that do contribute to open source Entria and also work on the different like Entria integrations we have with right. uh, VMware products. Um, right, so and so, so yep. it would be like uh, instead of having a large team, if you had a feature set that needed to be integrated, that engineer might come and contribute a block of code or some function that goes into that, so that then you know they're they're working on the project during the time that they're integrating in a feature. Right? Is that uh, kind of part of how that works? Yeah, you you can you can see that there are features which are driven by the needs of like integrating with other solutions. Sometimes right. we see an obvious gap, um, but that doesn't mean that the feature is not a good thing to have in the open source project. And sometimes we have features that we don't really need uh, as VMware, but that makes sense uh, in open source entry because you want a project to have like some feature rich capabilities that can benefit to a wide audience. In that case, well, the team is still gonna. Work on adding the feature unless an external contributor comes in and and contributes the feature themselves. And you mentioned you know cloud integration and standards that are out there. So there there's standard bodies that defined you know the interfaces that you have to connect to if you want to connect to you know other Kubernetes clusters out there. So that's a great question. So when you look at the Kubernetes requirements for networking. They're very simple. They say Kubernetes network plugin, which is going to be a third-party project, right? As, as we discussed before, uh, needs to provide pod connectivity without NAT, without network address translation. And that's pretty much the only requirement you have, right? And then um, there is a standard interface called CNI, uh, which stands for Container Network Interface, which is how uh, the container runtime um, asks your plugin to provision networking for a pod or for a container. Um, and so uh, basically, the, the most basic responsibility of a Kubernetes network plugin is to implement this standard interface, which is a very simple interface. And, and that's why a Kubernetes network plugin is often referred to as a CNI plugin, because that's kind of like the core of a network plugin. But if you look at all the popular open source projects out there, Entria, Calico, Cilium, Flannel, and so on, 
uh, or weave. Typically, they do more than just implement that interface. They provide you with network policy uh, APIs so that you can secure your workloads. They provide you with visibility tooling so you can figure out what's going on in your cluster from a networking perspective. And so you end up with like the CNI implementation that basic connectivity requirement is only like the tip of the iceberg and all those plugins provide you with like a, a load of features and try to differentiate uh, from each other with those additional features. Um, and so that interface CNI is really the only uh, standard way to integrate with Kubernetes, Kubelet, con the container runtime. Uh, there, and then you have the network policy API, which is standardized by Kubernetes and provides you with a basic abstraction to, to secure your workloads. But after that, uh, the different network plugins are free to define their own uh, interfaces. Uh, and those interfaces are, for example, what we're going to use to integrate with NSXT or with the AVI load balancer, and there is no standard at that right. level. So when we say, when Madhu said that Entria can be used uh, as a network plugin in the cloud, really that integration is relies on the CNI interface, which is used to uh, provision uh, networking, right? The e interface, connectivity, the routes, things like this. And then you have the network policy API, which is also common across all those uh, Kubernetes network plugins. Okay, that makes sense. The CNI and the uh, network policy API are the two APIs, but other than that, you're on your own, and then you're building features and connecting. And I use Weave uh, when I was doing Raspberry Pi, so I get that. And then now you get into the you know kind of the, the place where you're choosing a vendor because the vendor then implements you know security policy and all kinds of things that you know then make it a a, a robust solution. So I that makes sense, Madhu. Um, how do you know what's the challenge here between getting uh, this embedded as a default versus NSXT connectivity and where do you draw the line? You know, we, we sell one, the other one's embedded. Uh, how how do you how do you deal with that, or what's our strategy? So Andrea is a standalone CLI, right? It works with and without NSX. So what I mean by that is you can have your Kubernetes cluster, as Antonius was saying, right, anywhere. In fact, our the, the, one of the things that you would see in, in the Andrea site is it's a CNI and it runs anywhere that Kubernetes runs, and that's true. So you can have Andrea running anywhere. It could be uh, you, you might have already have apps deployed, doesn't really matter. Now, when you're thinking about like an enterprise uh, use case, right? You might have 50 different clusters, 100 different clusters, all doing different things, and then now suddenly you need you, you, a centralized management system, which can at least give you basic uh, form of network policy management. You need to be able to kind of figure out, hey, I want these kind of namespaces to talk to the other namespaces. I don't want these to, these things to talk, and as and when these kind of requirements kind of grow up, you, you definitely need a centralized policy management. And that's where NSX comes in. So what we offer, or what uh, uh, and that's going to be GA pretty soon, is NSX manager acts as the central uh, visibility and, and policy manager. So you take your already existing Antria cluster, or Kubernetes cluster with Antria as the CNI, just integrate that with NSX, 
and then you're all set. Now, the moment you do that, you start getting uh, all the inventory uh, in NSX. All of the Kubernetes labels are actually converted into NSXT tags. And if, you have, if you're familiar with NSXT, that would actually mean that you can now create uh, dynamic groups based on these tags. You can use those groups in distributed firewall rules that actually get uh, pushed down back into Antria and gets realized as the Antria cluster network policies. So NSX is essentially providing you management plane uh, visibility and, and control, but the realization is still happening in Antria. Now, it solves two things as well, right? Uh, one, obviously, you, you now have a central management system. But then on the other side, you can actually really scale very well. You still you can spawn out like hundreds and then thousands of clusters with Antria in it, but your NSX manager will be able to very easily handle all of that load because all it is doing is this kind of just on the management side. And, allow, and extending this kind of integration, right? Not only on the security side, when you're thinking of troubleshooting, uh, container troubleshooting is is a is a topic that uh, most people want to talk about a lot because it, there's a lot of things that you can that can go wrong that you can look at uh, trying to look at trace flows trying to look at uh, packet flows is challenging so NSX also helps in in this place so NSX already had the trace flow it Antria by native also has trace flow so it was very easy to kind of map those two together I'm sure Anthony can and talk a lot about this. Uh, so you now have uh, visibility, you now have some stats that are exported, you now have uh, uh, statistics and tel telemetry in terms of how many packets are going back and forth between these pods, a lot of this information that's available in NSX. So it, it, as I said, it provides this uh, uh, central management uh, opportunity, and it doesn't mean that NSX has to be used only for Andrea. If you already have an NSX system that is kind of doing your, uh, that's providing overlay network, that's providing micro segmentation for your virtual machines, you can just use your existing NSX manager to, to kind of control Andrea clusters too. Okay, that makes sense. I'm going to flip back to Antonian and ask, um, since you're the father of this project, right? Like, um, what would you say is your most proudest moment or proudest piece of technology that you've you've built in and, and coded for for this for this environment? Well, I'm not the only father. <laughs> it's a project with several fathers, but uh, it's a modern family. Uh, but um, I think we're very proud of uh, having been accepted in, in the CNCF uh, as a Sandbot project. I think that was like kind of like a, um, a good achievement for us. And I think also being chosen as a default solution for all the Tenzu flavors uh, was was really a big deal, right? Because we we didn't do that project for nothing. We know that uh, even at VMware, it's 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 basically used for all the container needs uh, now. Um, I think one aspect of the project we're quite proud of is that we managed to have a unified data pass um, implementation between both Linux and Windows, and so that means that. Uh, a lot of the features we have available for Linux are basically automatically also available on Windows. And that kind of like enables us to um, to provide kind of like that uh, uh, first class citizen uh, support uh, for Windows nodes in Kubernetes clusters. And I think the, the Windows use case is, is kind of growing in the enterprise, right? You're not going to have like... Uh, clusters with a large number of Windows nodes, but it's not uncommon to have like clusters with a small number of Windows nodes, which are going to run um, Windows-specific uh, services, uh, whether it's databases or um, 
yes or uh, directory or you know like uh, office 365 or whatnot yeah i was gonna say and as as the cloud providers azure and others you know offer platforms of choice right like you could see that you know if you were on azure that there would be need to do that so that's 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 pretty nice because normally yeah there wasn't any cross-platform network fabric capability when i was doing raspberry pi and using weave right it was like you're on this platform this is what you're on this is the os you run have a nice day right and mm. that was that so um interesting um how much do you get along with madu Right, like, because uh, you know, you're, you're engineering, open source. Sometimes product guys they, they drive you crazy. Um, how much, you know? Obviously, he's here. We can pretend he's not here. Uh, there is sometimes tension between open source projects and products. Um, how do you feel that's going? Uh, so, so on my side, I mostly focus on the open source uh, open source side of things. I don't feel the tension uh, too much. We do feel it a little bit. Uh, very often, my my take is to do what's best for the open source projects to 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 keep that credibility. You can always find like a, a workaround when you when you integrate with um, with a VMware product. I think that. Uh, it's it's obvious that the needs of the business are also going to drive uh, are going to drive feature prioritization, right? Obviously, sure. we have VMware developers working on that project. If we need something first, we're going to work on that thing first, right? But that's not uh, conflicting with uh, the concept of doing a, a good uh, open source project with uh, transparent governance, right? Yeah. It's just the way things are. But uh, we wouldn't put something in the open source project that's not good for the open source project. Right. I, I, I think that's what I was getting at. The, pro the It's like, how is VMware, I could rephrase that product, which you've answered that question, which is, how is VMware doing as a an open source contributor? Right. Like, you know, because sometimes companies get that, like, no, we want our stuff and we're going to drive the standard and we're not going to play in a way that's a, a comfortable way to work with open source community members. Right. And so sounds like we're doing okay. I think so, and I think VMware used to have a terrible uh, reputation in the open source world in general. I think that's really changed in, in the last couple of years uh, with uh, uh, changes made in the uh, VMware uh, open source program office, right? And and the very high number of uh, VMware contributions to projects like Kubernetes. I think in terms of Kubernetes, VMware is like the second or third largest uh, contributor in terms of number of contributions, and so. Uh, I think uh, VMware has really put its weight behind uh, its weight behind Kubernetes, and and we've been playing nicely with the community, and I think right. that's that's really helping uh, VMware's reputation there. How is uh, how are we doing with Joe Beta and the whole Kubernetes, you know, core foundation people? Are you tied into that? Is that is, is this the open source and Joe Beta and everybody that then also works on the product side? I'm just curious, do you guys work as a collective when we're talking about contributing to various open source projects? And I know he's still around and, you know, contributing and driving things as well. Uh, so Joe was really influential at the at the beginning of the project. I think we took a lot of feedback from him. Uh, he made some introductions. We we took his feedback, his his experience based on everything he did uh, in in Aptio, uh in in consideration, right? And he helped like uh, kind of like popularize entry a bit uh, in um, in the podcast and and things like this. You know, the, he started the pro podcast, which is. Uh, 
uh, TGIK. Thank, thank God it's Kubernetes, which uh, airs on, on Fridays, right? And sure. he did an episode on Entria. So I think we really took Joe's advice on how to do things the right way early on in the project. And, um, and now um, uh, we have another VMware employee, uh, uh, Davenham, he goes by Dims, who is a member of the uh, steering committee for Kubernetes. And we also really take in, uh, sorry, uh, steering committee for the CNCF. And we really take his uh, advice into consideration when it comes to um, how we manage the, uh, the project upstream. Nice. Nice. Um, Madhu, it, it seems like from my perspective, we're actually making pro, you know, tr real traction in, in Kubernetes these days with Tanzu. And the idea that you could just have vSphere 7, you know, and uh, if I go to my, uh, my, you know, my powers to be and just say, oh, you need Kubernetes platform, you know, we've got that. You know, in fact, we've got it in a standard way, in an open source way, and in an enterprise support way, in a management plane way. I can just imagine, I used to run a data center, I used to be a VP of a $100 million company. And, you know, we would have consultants come in and make recommendations for our three-year purchase plans, you know, and technology roadmaps. And I could just see from my perspective, if I were doing this and I were looking at trying, I would just be like, yeah, let's just turn that on for, you know, all our vSphere environments and, and or at least build a, you know, a section of vSphere environments that that's enabled. And that just becomes my, my Kubernetes infrastructure. And I don't have to buy much new. Yeah, no, absolutely. It makes sense, right? Because if you think about it, when VMware I mean, it kind of exploded initially with virtualization, it gave the ability to kind of give you on-demand virtual machines for any anybody. Uh, and, and if you're a VI admin, all you have to do is spin up a new VM, give it to whoever asked for it, and they can just use the VM as their as, as their own. But they're not like worried about maintaining it and, and, and kind of managing it, right? The same thing is actually now applicable to Kubernetes too. If I'm an app developer, all I need is like a Kubernetes cluster either to do development, to do testing of my app, and maybe I don't really need to bother be bothered too much about where my cluster is running, or what, what is my CNI, what kind of enterprise-grade security is, is, is implemented. All I'm maybe worried about is, hey, can my database and my app application talk to each other? Are those ports open? And I'm pretty much happy with that. So for these kind of use cases, right? Uh, if, if converting your vSphere cluster into a Kubernetes cluster and then creating guest clusters on demand makes total sense. And I can see why that's it is getting popular uh, mainly because of this from an infrastructure perspective. You can treat this as a IaaS platform, you just spin up clusters on demand. They're available whenever it's, it's, it's needed. And the developer themselves are not kind of bogged down about, hey, did I get the kubectl uh, version right or, or any of those uh, things. Yeah, nice. Uh, all right, as we transition to the last 10 minutes of the show here, I always like to ask, like, so where are we going? And I know that you can't particularly in product land, but uh, Antonian, you're in open source. Maybe you have some more flexibility. What do you see excites you for next year? Uh, what are you guys going to be working on? Um, are there any things that you can talk about on wh where your vision is uh, taking this forward? So we have some very cool uh, features, uh, incoming features, right? We're looking at doing things like layer seven network policies where you, you go beyond just like firewall rules, uh, uh, which are expressed in terms of like community spots, but are essentially enforced at the IP level, right? So it's really like a, um, a traditional firewall in, in that sense. It's just, you have a, a nice little community subtraction on top of that. So looking to move beyond that, 
and look into like layer seven network policies. Uh, you can like define those policies in terms of like HTTP request, for example, which is like a, a very powerful tool for um, uh, someone de deploying workloads to Kubernetes. Uh, we're looking at things like uh, IDS, IPS, what can we do uh, in entry as a project, uh, looking at things like uh, improving our integrations with um, uh, with cloud providers, right? Um, uh, one big news for us this year was uh, the Google team announced that they were previewing entry, official entry support for Kubernetes with Windows nodes. And so uh, um, if you want to deploy a, a GKE uh, managed cluster on, on Google Cloud and you want to include uh, Windows nodes in your uh, GKE clusters, then entry is going to be used to provide networking on those Windows uh, nodes. So it was like great news for us. Uh, we work with a Google team to make that happen, and they really drove a lot of innovations in in the project, which was which was good. So we're looking to improve our integration with cloud providers. Um, Multi-cluster is like a big a big deal, right? If you have like different clusters all running Entria, um, how can you like? Uh, uh, have workload connectivity between those clusters, but also enforce policies for traffic across those clusters. So Madhu mentioned how NSXT lets you federate uh, those clusters under the same management plate. And so you can define policies which are going to be copied to every cluster and enforced in every cluster. Uh, but that's still like local enforcement, right? If I have multiple clusters with services talking to each other across Kubernetes clusters, how do I enforce policies um, on that traffic, how do I uh, provide connectivity uh, for that traffic across clusters? So something very exciting that we're uh, currently looking at. Nice. Madhu, uh, coming into next year, who are our competitors and how are we doing with them, right? Like, um, uh, you know, we we're, there's there's certain the experts and people that deal with, you know, competitive situations, right? We're always mm -hmm. trying to, you know, sell our products and uh, engage. Uh, who else are is in this space? Like I, I look at this thing. I'm like, there aren't very many vendors. Maybe, maybe IBM with Red Hat and that, their whole stack, you know, gets mm -hmm. into this. But uh, is there anybody else out there? And uh, and how are we doing? You know, uh, so you even you mentioned IBM, right? Red Hat and IBM. So in, in fact, uh, with OpenShift, even though OpenShift has OpenShift SDN, uh, which comes as default in their cluster. Uh, we do have quite a few of our customers who pick Entria as the CNI, uh, mainly because of the features like that's available that, that Anton was talking about, right? That's one aspect, right? Even internally, we did talk a lot about Tanzu and how Entria is the default CNI, and it was not so before. Uh, when Tanzu was initially introduced, Entria was not the CNI uh, because one, it was, I mean, there was a third-party uh, CNI that was available as default. But then slowly, we have been able to win everybody over, and that's pretty good. So in, in, in terms of what others do as well, right? Uh, you can look at any other CNI out there in the market. They have both open source. Some of them have an enterprise solution too. But then most customers, when they pick a product, they're also looking in terms of, okay, is it a single I don't know, like a choking point. Can I just pick up one 1-800 number and just call them up? Or do I need to call like five different people? All of these things do matter. And VMware, what we are kind of uh, going towards is having like a, a single uh, 
stack, like end-to-end -end stack, that gives you not only your physical underlay, your overlay, your container networking, security, visibility, Antonin mentioned IDS, IPS, uh, uh, more in terms of an intelligence within your Kubernetes cluster, uh, uh, service connectivity. So if, if you think of a lot about this, it, it actually makes more sense to just stick with an end-to-end -end solution. And uh, we have actually been getting a lot of requests in, in this regard. Nice. All right. Uh, well, we have uh, five minutes left here. So uh, CNI, Container Network Interface. Antonio, thanks for uh, coming from uh, Stanford and the, the great environment there and ending up at VMware and continue to work here. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to have uh, you know such sharp engineers you know in the, you know that whole you know, stack, you know, computer science stack is a, is a thanks for being here and doing that work. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you feel it's a rewarding. Are you on any social networks? Do you guys have a blog? Uh, what is your uh, GitHub repository? How do people, you know, that are interested connect with you and your project? So most of the interactions are on GitHub. We also have a Slack channel uh, for the Entria project, which is part of the community's uh, Slack workspace. So if you join the community Slack workspace, which anyone can do, uh, you can look up the Entria channel and chat with us live. And uh, that's a very interactive way to do it. Um, if you have any problem with entry, any question, you can also uh, open an issue on GitHub and we're pretty reactive with how we deal with those uh, requests as well. And I think uh, lastly, uh, Entria as a Twitter handle, I think it's at Project Entria. Uh, so um, you can tweet at us and, and follow that if you want to. Uh, know about the latest news, know about the latest Entria releases and, and things like this. All right, so at Project Entria, A-N-T-R-E-A. Yeah. Okay, yep. and then you can just uh, go to GitHub and search on that and uh, join the project if you want. And then uh, you can also go to Slack, join the Kubernetes Slack channel, and then sub-channel Entria, I would assume. Yep. And uh, uh, Entria.io, the website, is also kind of like a one-stop shop where you can find the links to all those things I just mentioned. All right, great, perfect. Uh, Madhu, I always ask that as we wrap up, um, how do people find you? Are you on Twitter? Is there a, is a Twitter handle that uh, that you guys do? Do you guys have a blog? How do people keep up, keep track of all the networking stuff that's happening? Uh, most of my contributions uh, directly go to the VMware blog site. So you can reach me through that, uh, or you can also reach me on my GitHub. It's Madhukar K, that's my GitHub ID. You okay, could you to me from there? Spell that M A D H U K K A R K. Oh, K A R K. Okay, Madukar mm -hmm. K. Got it. All right. Um, all right. Well, thanks a lot for coming here, talking about it. Uh, go check this out. Congratulations to being the B default networking, you know, uh, CNI there. I did not know that, so that's a learning for me today. So appreciate that, and uh, good job on uh, all the work you guys have been doing. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for, Thanks for the here. invite, Eric. It was great. Yeah, it was great. All right. With that, we'll be back again next week. We're booked all the way throughout the rest of the year. So just come back and say hello to us. You can join us live at vmw.re slash pod and ask some questions. We run this on TalkShoe as well as we stream it on YouTube. So go check us out at youtube.com slash vbarbecue. And with that, uh, we will hit the big red stop button. Have a great day, everyone. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.